wiped the shandy from the station master's gansey. The train looms large on the horizon. Don't let him embark with a gansey full of shandy. He will be sticky and wet. He will be unable to perform his duties. That was a poem called The Station Master's Gansey, written by Hollywood actor Edward Furlong. Thank you, Edward. Welcome, everybody, to the Blind Boy Podcast. Welcome to the new listeners. If this, if you're a new listener, go listen to some earlier episodes. You can listen to this one and listen to some earlier episodes afterwards. If you're a regular listener, what's the crack? How are you getting on? How are you enjoying August? Is it crispy enough for you? It's not crispy yet, is it? When does August start getting crispy? The last week of August. When I say crispy now, I refer to the violence of a falling leaf from a tree crumbling underneath your feet. August is a very audible month. It announces itself with sound. The sounds of leaves under your feet, trampling on the corpses of leaves. And just the sound that you don't really notice it, but just leaves falling. You see them falling, but leaves make a little, a little microscopic thud when they hit the ground, you know. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I'm still... Do you know, you still get... The kind of floral... That floral bang... Of the evenings. You still get a bit of that. Um, It hasn't gotten cold yet. So I, I was out this... I was out as soon as darkness hit. I was outside. Because there's a Perseid... Mar- Perseid, how the fuck do I pronounce that? A Perseid meteor shower happening tonight, alright? And the skies are clear. I didn't see any of them. Was out there, I wasn't out there for ages, but I was in and out, looking up towards the direction of, is Perseus, is that the name of the constellation? I was using a fucking, the night sky app on my phone, trying to see some meteors. I didn't see any of them. I, but but what I did see, well, what, no, not what I saw, when I was looking for the meteors, which weren't happening on this lovely crisp night, I was pleasurably affronted by just that lovely, that smell of flowers in the air. Wildflower, whatever it was, I don't know what it was, but there's only one word for it, it's floral. Do you know, you have different types of smells, there's woody smells, there's citrusy smells. But when a smell is floral, and it can only be described as floral, and not a specific flower, but just a generic buzz of flower, and it, it hangs in the air in um there's a heaviness to it. Isn't that interesting about the smell about the smell of something floral? Like if I was to smell something that was citrusy, citrusy is if I smell a lemon, that smell is its stinging. It's like a wasp. It's like an insect. The smell of citrus, it kind of shoots up your nose and announces itself really quickly and then darts back out. 
but floral smells are heavy. They they just they're like a curtain. A floral smell will never dart in and out of your nostril. It kind of it's like a cushion that holds you up. Do you know what I mean? So I that's what I noticed tonight while not seeing any meteors. The lovely floral a floral curtain. And I like that. I like that because it's it's what's nice about the floral curtain in the evening time? It lets you know that, that summer hasn't been defeated yet. The floral curtain disappears when the night becomes crisp. Once you get into the end of August, you get that crispness in the air. The coldness and the crispness. The one that lets you know the leaves are going to fall soon. And the floral curtain can't survive. What the fuck am I talking about? What in the fuck am I talking about? Trying to describe describe the fucking smells. Describing the smells of the evenings. But you know what I'm talking about. When you smell the fucking flowers, it gives you a sense of hope. It's like there'll be a few warm days left. But as soon as you get that fucking cold night, which is crispy and citrusy, let's be honest. It doesn't smell like citrus. But when the evening gets cold at the end of August, its personality is citrusy. It's a bit like a lemon or an orange rind. It has that quality, the bite of it. It bites your nostrils. Whereas the summer floral smell will never bite you. It just, it weighs you down. But not in a bad way. Like a supportive friend. And then of course, what happens after that? That's when you start getting those real cold September nights. That That's where smoke lives. Someone could have a fucking, a chimney or a turf fire two miles away. And that smoke will cling to the cold of a September night. And that's not citrusy. That doesn't go into your nose. That goes directly into your throat. Which I find interesting. And these are all the things I thought about tonight. While I was bereft of meteors from the Parseid meteor shower. I've, I've never seen a meteor shower in my life. I've been present for loads of meteor showers... I've tried to attempt to see them. I've known they're happening. I've always... I've never fucking seen a meteor shower. Now, I've lived in cities my whole life. I don't know much about the rural environment, so... Light pollution is a factor. But tonight was a crisp, clear night. And the meteor shower was supposed to be abundant and violent. Nothing. Fucking nothing. So I'm contemplating smells. Another reason I'm contemplating smells is... I was in in Aldi last week and they had, uh, do you know that aisle in Aldi where they just, they sell new shit each week. And they had uh, an LED aromatherapy diffuser. It was like 15 quid. And I, I enjoy anything that has LEDs in it. I think LEDs are beautiful. So it's just, it looks like a big glowing teardrop. And you put water into it, and and it's an essential oil, and it makes it it glows. It breathes light, and then it puts this lovely fragrant steam into the air, which smells like whatever essential oil you have in it. And I happened to have a bottle of citronella, because I went through a citronella phase, 
about a year ago, right? Citronella is... It's an essential oil. I don't know what it comes from. What What's interesting about the smell of citronella? Citronella is the smell you'd smell if, you, if you're at a barbecue as a child and someone lights a candle and this candle's job. They were always in, in little... When you were younger, citronella candles were in, in red glass or orange glass with a honeycomb design on them. Looked a bit like... Yeah, they were in a glass and they smelled lemony and it kept mosquitoes away. That's citronella. And citronella reminds me of Spain. Not because they're citronella plants. It just... Whenever I, I go into bathrooms in Spain or, or anywhere really, they tend to clean floors with citronella flavoured uh, floor wipes or floor wash, whatever you call it. So I fetishise the smell of citronella. I can't fucking say it now. I fetishise the smell of citronella because it reminds me of being on holidays in Spain and I miss being a, I miss I miss the capacity to spontaneously go to Spain if I choose so and because of fucking coronavirus so I've, I've been fetishising citronella but I kind of overdosed on it all week with this uh, essential oil diffuser this LED teardrops essential oil Aldi diffuser and I was giving myself too much citronella and citronella I'm gonna need I'm gonna need to fucking back off from this word soon because I don't know can I say it anymore citronella <laughs> do you know when you say a word too much it means nothing citronella smells like uh how someone would describe a lemon. It doesn't smell like lemon. Right? If I got you to sniff citronella. You'd never go yum yum. What nice lemons you have blind by. It's not like that. Citronella is like. It's 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 like if you, if you showed a child a lemon. And then got the child. To describe the smell of that lemon to a perfume maker. And then they made a perfume. That is is based, and if the perfume maker had never smelt lemons, but had the smell of lemons described to them by a child, that's what citronella is. All right, but I overdosed on it this week. It's a very invigorating smell. It's it's citrusy. Like I said, it's a it's a bit like being assaulted by olfactory wasps. It darts in and out of your nose. So I had to calm down on the citronella. And instead I said, sure, fuck it, man, there's loads of smells. There's loads of different smells that I could use in this burner. So I went online and I bought myself 30 different essential oils that covered the entire gamut of potential smells, ranging from citrus to woody to floral. So I've just been like a mad bastard all week with this diffuser exploring the full spectrum of smells so bitter fucking orange on the citrus scale um lemon i'm gone off citrus now because of the citronella then moved into the woody woody scents and like so the woody scents are, are interesting like just just back to the citrus one orange lemongrass that smells like Thai curries. And then bergamot. 
which I had very strong bergamot Earl Grey tea if you've ever had Earl Grey tea Earl Grey tea the smell and taste of that is bergamot I couldn't do that right so got rid of the citrus shit and started getting into the, the woody smells of these essential oils putting them into the Aldi diffuser letting them spread around the room and then kind of mindfully exploring the different emotions and visions that come up depending on the smell that I was using and the woody stuff what do they have cinnamon is woody cinnamon's a weird one man it's kind of half woody and half half fucking citrusy but like thyme you know the smell of thyme you know but lavender lavender lads lavender is like uh, a transition if 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 the smells were a theater and you've all right starts off with citrus then you're into the the woody smells and then you know the floral smells are coming next lavender is like a scene transition between the two it's like the curtains close lavender is both woody and floral at the same time then i started getting into the fucking floral smells and the floral oils that i got in this set sandalwood good fucking lord because I don't experience these in the wild. Jasmine. Do you know patchouli? People of a certain age who remember the 70s have got strong opinions on patchouli. I never, or people who live in Galway. I never experienced patchouli so it's new to me. Absolutely beautiful. This one called um, Yang Yang. It's a Chinese, I believe it's a Chinese fucking name. And they're just absolutely gorgeous. So that's that's I suppose that's why I've just spent fucking 13 minutes talking about smells. I've been enthusiastically using a, an aromatherapy diffuser with 30 different little bottles of essential oils and it's really causing me to it, it's you know it's it's it was causing me to to view the world and my re, my reality through the lens of a nose. I was really thinking about things from a smell point of view, which I hadn't really done before, and that was interesting. So fuck the meteor shower. Fuck the meteor shower. What would a meteor smell like? Metallic and sulfurous and citrusy. If I had to wager, if if I had to put a bet on it. Alright, that's enough about fucking smells on a podcast. Alright. So what like what I would like to do with this week's podcast, I want to revisit a theme of one of my earliest podcasts. I want to revisit the theme of collectivism and individualism. I covered this topic on I think it was like my tenth podcast back in early twenty seventeen. Or possibly, would have been 2017, early 2017. Now the thing is, we're we're almost up to episode 300 here with this podcast. And not everyone who's listening has been listening 100% from the start. They haven't, in fact. To be honest, from, from what I've noticed, the people... There are a few people who've been here for the entirety of the journey of this podcast. But mostly, people come and go and... Now, by nearly almost getting to episode 300, my my audience is mostly international now. In 2017, it was an exclusively Irish audience. 
and the audience has changed a bit, so I can't assume everyone has heard every single one of my podcasts. So, what was the name of the fucking podcast? Can't even remember the name of it, but it did. A, it, it was a podcast about a collectivism versus individualism, and I spoke about it in twenty seventeen. And the reason I want to revisit it is that, first of all, to satisfy the hipster in me, by which I mean current events in the coronavirus pandemic are hugely relevant to the topic of this podcast I did in 2017. It was, I predicted something in a way, by accident, by accident. And what I spoke about was how quote-unquote Western cultures are what's known as individualistic and quote-unquote Eastern or Asian cultures are collectivistic. And I want to expand on it and revisit it in a 2020 coronavirus pandemic context and because I've got a hot take and I want to see if this hot take is answerable. What initially got me thinking about the constructs of individualism versus collectivism was a moment of culture shock that I had a few years ago. I grew up um, seeing, we'll say, Japan and China on television. We'll say on the news. And when I was a kid, whenever you would see news footage of people in Japan or China in a crowded city, we'll say, it was usually Tokyo in Japan. You'd see a crowd of people just like you would in New York or in Dublin or in London. But within the crowd of people in Japan when I was growing up, there was always one or two people wearing a face mask. And I'm talking in the 90s. Wearing face masks. And it always stood out, seeing it as a kid from Ireland, as really jarring. Okay? It was like, what the fuck are they doing wearing face masks? Now, I knew that the face masks were medical, so I assumed, all right, okay, so they're they're scared of getting sick. And when I was a kid seeing people in Asian countries wearing face masks on, on news reports, it used to, I, I'd feel insulted, almost. I'd feel like, I don't think I'd like to go to that place. That doesn't seem very welcoming. I viewed... The Chinese and Japanese people wearing face masks in public places as as an accusation. It's like if I was there and a person was wearing a face mask, I would say I would I would think that they're saying to me, "You are unclean. You are dirty. You are diseased. Get away from me. I don't want your yucky germs." And I viewed it as this person is an ultra hypochondriac. Or they don't trust other people and they think other people are diseased and they're really selfishly protecting themselves from these diseases and it's so irrational. And I wouldn't like to go to Tokyo if everyone thinks I'm I'm dirty like that. And that's what I genuinely thought growing up when I would see people in Asian countries wearing masks, surgical masks in public places. And it was a common trope was a common thing and the culture shock came a few years ago long before coronavirus when I learned 
these people in Japan and China are not wearing face masks because they are afraid of catching a virus or catching a cold or catching a flu. The person who's wearing the face mask, what it means is they are sick. So all those newsreels I saw in the 90s of a Japanese businessman wearing a face mask, it meant that he had a flu or a cold or wasn't feeling well, but he still went to work and he was protecting the other people that had to interact with him in a space. He was doing his, he was going, I've got a cold, I better not give it to somebody. I'll put this on. Something which is actually quite kind and considerate and compassionate. When I saw it out of context, I'd viewed it as the complete flip. What a selfish bastard. Who are you to call me dirty? Who are you to say that I'm diseased? And it took me back when I learnt this. When I, when I learnt that in certain Asian countries they wear face masks to protect other people, I was like, fuck, wow. I got that so wrong. And that's what led me to investigate and find out about individualism versus collectivism. So individualism and collectivism, they're words that are used in, in like sociology, right? They're constructs used to describe something, but also it, it describes how we as a society, how we view ourselves in relation to our society and our social norms, what's considered rude, what's not considered rude, what's considered appropriate, what's considered inappropriate, what's considered embarrassing and shameful, and what's not. And these differ depending on whether a society is individualistic or collectivistic. Now, Asian Asian countries tend to be collectivistic. That mask-wearing business, I wear a mask because I have a cold and I want to protect other people from getting my cold. That's collectivistic thinking. You're not thinking about your own illness. You're thinking about, I am sick. Um, I am therefore a danger to other people. If I made other people sick, that would be really bad for everybody. I better do what I can to stop that happening. That's collectivistic thinking. But in Europe and in America, we don't think like that. If we get a cold, we think, fuck it, I've got a cold. How do, how do I cure it? What can I do to stop my cold affecting me? And pre-coronavirus, people didn't really give a fuck. If you've got a flu or a cold, it's like, it's not my problem. What can I do about it? I better go to the chemist and get get my Lemsip and get my Panadol and if I sneeze along the way or if I cough on someone I'm not thinking about that sure it's out of my control what can I do I need to look after myself and that's an individualistic way of thinking until this year to be perfectly honest I mean I'd be thinking about if I had a cold or a sore throat if it's someone I in my immediate group who I care about, if it's a family member, and I've got a sore throat, I'm talking now 2018, no coronavirus. If a family member calls to my house and I've got a sore throat, I'm going to say, I've got a sore throat, maybe don't call over. 
But am I thinking that way when I'm in Duns or in Aldi? Am I thinking that way when I'm on the bus? Absolutely not. I never, ever, never thought about it. Never felt required to think about it. Felt that, sure, I've got a fucking cold. If I have it, everyone else is going to get it. What am I going to do on a bus? It wouldn't have even entered my head that I would give it to a member of the public. Only immediate people that I care about. But I never thought about the public and my sore throat or my cold. Nor was I ever really asked to think about that. And that right there is individualistic and quite self-centred. Individualistic cultures, and I'm basing this now on, it's a 2019 sociological paper on on individualism and collectivism as they exist in, in the social sciences. But in individualistic cultures, people view themselves as having an independent concept of self. Whereas collectivist cultures, people view themselves as like an interdependent concept of self. It's a tough one to explain because like most of the people listening to this podcast will probably, because a, a lot of individualist cultures are also English speaking. So if you're listening to this, you probably come from an English speaking culture. You're a Yank or you're European or Australian. We view ourselves as I am me and you are you and we are completely separate beings, independent concepts of self. Whereas in a collectivist culture, even with like if this individualist cultures, if you have a child, yes, your child is your fucking child, but you view them as a separate human. I have myself and they have their selves whereas collectivistic cultures can view children as a continuation of self there's a fragmentation of the concept of self your child or your parent or your brother or your sister they're you are you are both you and also they contain a part of you which i i can't really get my head around that I can't get, like, I'm very individualistic in my thinking. Even, like, the, the, the psychology that I use to help me myself with my mental health, like cognitive behavioural therapy, it's a hugely individualistic um, way of seeing the world. I mean, at the root of, of cognitive behavioural therapy, I have no control over what happens to me, but I have full control over my view towards it. It is not what happens to you that causes you to be upset, but it is how you react to what happens to you that causes you to be upset or anxious. And I subscribe to that because it's relevant to the culture I grew up in, to the individualistic culture I grew up in, and it's effective for me. But cognitive behavioural therapy, that isn't as effective in certain Asian cultures, in African cultures. It doesn't have the effectiveness it has in individualistic, quote-unquote, Western cultures. Individualistic cultures also view the self as completely separate to the environment and nature. The environment and nature is something to... Within individualism, an individualistic culture looks at a mountain or a forest and says... What can I take from this mountain and forest that benefits me? 
whereas collectivistic cultures will look at the mountain and the forests and think, yes, there are resources there which benefit me, but there's a bit of a symbiotic relationship going on. I'm not entirely separate from this tree. I'm not entirely separate from this mountain. If I take and take and take and take, then nothing will grow back. So there needs to be a balance going on. Similarly, if I take from this tree or this mountain, it's better to share that with the people around me rather than to try and hoard it. And a lot of the world's you you might have gathered up up until this you might have gathered so far that individualism kind of makes you a bit of a prick. Alright? Um a lot of the world's problems I off, I actually ask myself on a long enough lens, in a thousand years, whatever the fuck the world looks like then, most likely complete ecological collapse. That's that's what science is saying, okay? individualism will be frowned upon if you look at the the shittiest things like look at what colonialism has done colonialism is pure and utter individualism right colonialism is i'm going to take 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 whatever the fuck is there for me 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 that's colonialism and i'm going to use whatever type of rationale to quote unquote discover and take resources and get real, real greedy. That's individualism. Okay? It's not ecological. It doesn't think about the environment. It thinks about exploitation. Just look at what's happened since the Industrial Revolution. 300 years. 300 years of that shit. And we're facing the possible extinction of the human race within the next 200 years. Or 300 years. Unless some serious shit is fucking done to change our attitude towards consumption and greed but it's colonialism that decides to look at a mountain in Africa and view it as a giant pile of gold or coltan or uranium to be completely extracted or it's colonialism that looks at the Amazon uh, rainforest and instead of actually seeing what what it is because nature is collectivistic the Amazon rainforest if it, going to the Amazon rainforest and deciding yum 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 look at all that wood and flooring all of it and taking all the wood to build buildings and furniture it's real short term greedy thinking it's not ecological and it will eventually lead to the extinction of us or other creatures whereas to look at the Amazon rainforest as this is a resource and I can take some but I must only take enough so that the fucking rainforest can replenish itself naturally and now you've got a relationship. If, if you go to the Amazon rainforest and take what you need, then the forest is like, ah, oh, you're a human, alright, well you're part of nature and nature is a system where we're all part of this system together so you can have some of these trees, not a bother. I, I can afford these 10 trees and that's what you need. Take the 10 trees, I'll grow them back, no hassle. But when you go in with the individualistic mindset and take all the trees, then the forest is going, this isn't uh, symbiotic here. There's no relationship here. This is just you looting the forest. 
And that's individualism. And it's destroying the world. And it has destroyed the fucking world. I don't want to be completely binary and be like individualism bad, collectivism good. Extreme, the extremities of anything is usually always bad. And colonialism is an extremity of individualism. To take lands for their resources and completely exploit them, regardless of who lives there, or, or that's an extremity of individualism, and that's bad. Um, the extremity of collectivism, maybe, maybe what, what's going on in North Korea, uh, elements of the Soviet Union back in the day, that's the extremity of collectivism, and that didn't work out too well either. So collectivistic cultures have an interdependent sense of self. Individualistic cultures have an independent sense of self. Total independence. I am me and you are you. Whereas with collectivism it's like, yeah, I'm me and you are you, but we're going to have to have some type of involvement here together for the benefit of the both of us. If we're both just fucking being me and me, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um... Sociologists say that collectivistic cultures, just to say countries, China, India, Brazil, Japan, Mexico, are used as examples of of collectivistic cultures where people have an interdependent sense of self. And that interdependence is expressed as people sharing resources and not just... Now here's, here's one for you. When I say sharing resources, immediately you're thinking food property, you know, money, things. Whereas in collectivistic cultures, the the sharing of resources, there's material resources, but also non-material sharing, time, affection, fun. Ireland uh, was, they say, was fairly not strong, had elements of collectivism in pre-colonial times. We use the word mehel. To refer to this, mehel is like, it's a Gaelic, a Gaelga word that means like a team. And what it refers to is an Irish cultural, a rural Irish cultural thing where in a village or in whatever community you're living in, if what, if something happens to one of your neighbours, I don't know, the fucking thatching falls off the roof of their cottage everyone gets together to help that person okay um if their crops fail if you have something you give it to them if they need help harvesting their crops and it's that's called mel mel in ireland and i i i would imagine humans naturally should be collectivistic because we're social animals cooperative we cooperate for the survival of the entire group through kindness and sharing rather than the kind of single-minded, cruel Darwinism of individualism where you only look out for yourself and if you try as hard as possible, you can succeed. But if someone, if someone else doesn't succeed, it's their fault. And that's one of the huge... You see it today with our fucking government. It's it's any time a government wants you to dislike poor people. That right there is extreme individualism. 
that person is homeless because they didn't try hard enough. Selling people the idea that we're all completely equal and we all have absolute equal opportunity. So if if one person is a success and has a, a job and a mortgage and has loads of money, if that person is really successful, then the person who's on the street who's homeless, well then they've failed. And that's that's how toxic individualism tries to get us to look at ourselves. And it's a tenet of a lot of Western societies, unfortunately. You're told to believe that homeless person, is ho- it's their fault. Why aren't you homeless? Because you tried really hard and you worked hard and you got up early in the morning and that's why you've got your mortgage. But that person's homeless because they didn't try and they had the same opportunities as you and it's just not the case it's just not the fucking case equality equality of opportunity which means giving everybody the exact same opportunity is it's bullshit because it doesn't take into consideration things like privilege extreme individualism also it sells people the notion if, if you can convince people that this person is really wealthy because they just worked hard and tried really hard and played by the rules and this person is really poor because they didn't and they f- they're a failure, quote-unquote, if you can con- convince people of that, it's how you get this strange phenomenon of, of billionaire worship. You know, you find people online defending billionaires you find people in Ireland defending Apple not paying any tax in Ireland because what you, what what the system has done is convince these people that you're you're simply a billionaire that hasn't happened yet so people will defend a billionaire because they they think unconsciously that they will become that person and a lot of America England Europe Ireland is now within capitalism, under capitalism, is very much extremely individualistic in our way of thinking and how we view ourselves and how we view others. And this now, we now have an identity crisis because of coronavirus. We have an extreme identity crisis because of coronavirus. Coronavirus is utterly exposing individualism and its flaws. Just to tell you briefly, why are some cultures individualistic and other cultures are collectivistic? One theory that anthropologists have, right? One theory is if it de- it depends on the historical source of carbohydrates that that culture ate. Now I know that sounds bizarre, but if the culture historically relied upon rice, okay, as its source of food, these are the cultures that tend to be collectivistic because rice, in order to be grown, required a community effort. You can't just grow your own rice in your back garden. There needs to be a communal rice paddy. Everybody chips in for every part of the way and then everybody gets fed. And one theory is that cultures that relied upon rice as the staple food tended to develop a collectivistic and an interdependent sense of self and 
countries like China and Japan are examples of this. Then if instead you had a culture whereby their main source of carbohydrate was grasses, wheat, barley, grain, okay? These are things that you you could grow yourself in your back garden. If you wanted some wheat or some barley, you could grow some for yourself, for your own family, and feed yourself. And your neighbour could do the same and feed themselves. And what you end up with then is a way of viewing yourself as not necessarily needing your neighbour that much. And if your neighbour doesn't grow enough fucking wheat, it's because they're shit at growing wheat. And you grow enough wheat for yourself and you feed your family. And Western European cultures and countries that European people then went on to colonise. That's where you see individualism and then colonialism and aggressive capitalism coming from these cultures. On that note, it's time for a little ocarina pause. I don't have an ocarina. I've got a shaker this week because it's more pleasant on the ears. Um, You're going to be a digital advert is going to be inserted. A digital advert is going to be inserted. All right. Hopefully it won't be the British Army. A lot of controversy last week about advertising, British Army advertising on podcasts. If you've been listening to this podcast a long time, you'll know the British Army tried to advertise in this podcast. I said no. They came back. I made it a hostile environment by listing out their war crimes as digital anti-colonial guerrilla warfare against the British Army and the sovereign space of this podcast. Alright? But anyway, look, you're going to be sold an advert of some description here um, which will appeal to your individualistic self. You're going to be sold something and most likely it won't sell you the product. It'll try and sell you a better version of yourself which is a tenet of individualism. Consumerism operates within individualism. Don't sell them soap. Sell them how to be sexy. You won't get a soap advert. It'll be for beer or something. I don't know. It's up to you. Whatever you're searching online is what what will be digitally inserted. So here is the shaker pause. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So there you go. Just so you didn't get a fright. 
Support from this podcast comes from you, the listener. All right, via the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. I don't know. Actually, yeah, I don't know. I, I won't be gigging for a long, long time. Okay, I won't be gigging for a long time. I don't know when we're going to have gigs again. It's grand. Fuck it. The Patreon is what is giving me a regular source of income. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you're enjoying it, and you're working and you can afford to give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a week, please do. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. This podcast is now my full time job. Well, I'm streaming as well, but the podcast is my full time job. It's my sole source of income. Um, and if you become a patron, also what you're doing is you're allowing the podcast to be 100% independent, editorially, in, editorially independent. With I can't pronounce my L's this week, man. I can't pronounce my fucking. Remember that citronella. I'm not. I, let's not get back into citronella. Um, this is an independent podcast. I can speak about what I want. I am beholden to no advertiser, and this is all possible because of the patrons of the podcast. So if you can afford it, please pay me for the work I'm doing. Basically, it's a lot of work doing this podcast. I'm horsing through academic research this week, lads. It's not no Wikipedia shit here. I'm going through academic articles. So, pay me for the work I'm doing, please, if you're enjoying it. But if you can't afford it, you don't have to. If you... You can listen for free if you can't afford it. Because someone who can afford it is paying for you. And everyone's fucking happy. Everyone is happy then. That's almost a collectivistic way of looking at it. It's it's a community benefit. It's the community of everybody who's listening to it I'm making the podcast I'm getting paid and if you're paying for it you're paying for my work and you're listening to it but you're also paying for someone who can't afford it and it's a nice little model there was a few people asking are there perks are there more things I can do for patrons only right I'd rather stay away from that okay that's not what I want to do the patron is more pay me for the work I'm doing I don't want to some people on patreon are like here's an extra podcast once a week just for patrons here's extra stuff i want to avoid that if i can because of the aforementioned model i do a like a, a little lottery one patron every month is picked at random and i send you a, a hand drawing in the post that's it i think that's fair enough but unless people start screaming and roaring for it i'd rather not afford a huge a, a different level of privilege to patrons okay um i plug the patreon every week because people come and go so i have to do it people subscribe for a while and then they don't subscribe and then more people come in other people leave so i gotta keep plugging it every week because this is the sole source of income from the podcast i'm on twitch twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast i live stream three times a week wednesday thursday friday at 8 30 p.m maybe the weekends as well but guaranteed wednesday thursday friday you can come online, you can see me making songs, playing video games, chatting, responding to your comments, come along. Also like the podcast and leave a review, that also helps. Yart, back to the podcast. Even in individualistic cultures, we still have friendships, we still have relationships, we still have kindness. But sociologists would argue that in, in an individualist, okay, here's a classic example. Those YouTube videos where people help homeless people and film it. 
when someone on YouTube or Facebook buys food for a homeless person or gives a homeless person money and they film it and put it up online. That right there is complete and utter individualism. It is an act of compassion and kindness for another human being, but ultimately it serves the individual self of the person doing it because it increases their social standing within a group. It's it's the it's a colonial form of helping. It's in pure individualism to help a homeless person like that and then to broadcast it on the internet to do it for, for yourself. It's like resource mining. Instead of it being to help that other human being, it is that person has resources and this resources is, is social clout which you can then obtain from that person by buying them a sandwich in the eyes of other people. Therefore, ultimately it being a selfish act. With myself, I I help homeless people. I will buy a homeless person a sandwich. I will give a homeless person money. I'll share things online for charities. I'll donate to charities. I do all these things. But I've said it before to you. Like... Alright, I'm not going to fucking buy a homeless person a sandwich and take a photograph of it and put it up on Facebook and tell people. That's not going to happen. I'm comfortable with that being a private interaction and me telling myself I'm doing this to help the person in need. But ultimately, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it because I don't know any other way because I'm raised in individualism. When I perform acts of compassion for other people like that it's it's to help my mental health if I do something kind for a homeless person buy them a sandwich um, buy them a new pair of boots whatever it is I'm doing that day yes there's empathy involved yes there's compassion but I walk away from it feeling like a good person I don't need other people to see me doing it but ultimately, it, it's for me. It's the individualistic. It's it's complete individualism. I don't know any other way. And they tested this out with uh, Japanese children. Now, one thing I want to flag, because... I want to be very cautious about generalising entire cultures, because that can be problematic. So the stuff that I'm talking about here, I'm taking it all from a few different sources, but the main source I'm using is a published sociological paper from the Cornell University and one of the authors is actually Japanese-American in this study. And so what they did is they, they looked at uh, both American and Japanese school children and they found that they were both motivated to learn in school when they were individually rewarded for learning, right? So the kids are learning and then they're given a gold star at the end of the week if they do well and this motivates them to learn but the Japanese children were motivated to learn even if their teacher was rewarded so if at the end of the week those kids are studying and doing tests but they don't get gold stars their teacher gets a gold star the Japanese kids this didn't faze them they were like excellent teacher gets a star but the American kids were like what do you mean teacher gets a star? Where the fuck is my star? This and is shit. And that there is 
that's individualistic but the, the Japanese children's reaction is interdependent collectivistic way of thinking viewing the teacher as not a separate or not a hierarchy or not there in control but rather the teacher is in this classroom and we're learning and this is a system this is all systematic and the teacher is sharing knowledge with us and if they get rewarded for us doing hard work then it's all part of the system everyone benefits from it so it's grand another interesting thing in this study was how they observed how collectivistic cultures and individualistic cultures will set goals for themselves right collectivistic culture will are willing to subordinate their own individual goal if it benefits the goal of the collective but within individualistic cultures people will pursue their own goals that are important to them and even change their relationships with other people depending on them and what you see here is a higher rate of divorce in individualistic cultures now I'm not shaming divorce or saying that divorce is a fucking bad thing I don't give a shit about that um happiness is is if if divorce makes a person happy then get fucking divorced i'm not taking a moralistic view on divorce but what i'm saying is within within the context of individual cultures this study is using divorce as an example of a lack of compromise whereas in the collectivistic culture people change their personal goals around the strengthening of a bond and relationship whereas in the individualistic cultures they're like no this is what i want to fucking do and if you don't fit in with that then we have to part i want to be cautious now that i'm not presenting collectivism good individualism bad each social construct has got positive and negative parts harmful parts and and beneficial parts um Within collectivism, for example, they found in, in this study that it, like how the individual relates to larger society. How, within collectivist culture, larger society. Not just your immediate family or friends group, but now the entirety of society. And there tends to be quite a lot of pressure within collectivist society on the individual. So in individualistic cultures, you've got greater permission to be an individual. Pursue your own desires, your attitudes, your values, your beliefs. And because everyone else is individualistic, there's a greater degree of mind in your own business. If this person wants to do that, that's their fucking business. Leave them off. I'm doing my thing. But in collectivism, when it comes to the whole society... People are less likely wanting to stick out. Conformity, the pressure to conform is a lot higher. You have a a much higher amount of social norms, a higher amount of what's considered appropriate, what's not, much more rules about how you must behave. And we'll say collectivists, collectivists' willingness to, to accept the opinions and views of others, their willingness to conform leads to their concern for face-saving or gaining the approval of the collective. And face-saving is is an important construct that guides all communications in collectivist cultures. However, in the individualistic cultures, 
people are not guided by saving face. It's more important for people to speak their mind and tell the other person directly how they feel rather than hide their feelings to make the other person comfortable. And that's directly now from this sociological study. So in, in the individualistic culture, you can, you, can, you can express your distaste more. You can express, if you're unhappy with someone, you can express your anger more without having to worry about being shamed for that action or making another person uncomfortable. Another thing I find fucking mad interesting about something historically within individualistic cultures versus collectivist cultures. So individualistic cultures, right? The exchange relationships, right? Now I just mean transaction. It doesn't mean money. It can go straight back to barter. In individualistic cultures, historically, people will provide a service or give a gift to another person with the expectation that the other person is going to return it with something that's about equal value in a short period of time. That's individualism. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And the scratch that you're going to give me will be similar enough to the scratch that I gave you last week. And this is understood and normal within individualistic cultures. But in collectivist cultures, the exchange thing, it's it's less... It's less uh, bartery. A person in a collectivistic culture will scratch another person's back, not necessarily expect a scratch back. And if the other person responds to the scratch in a month's time with a hug, it's grand because what's valued, the value isn't placed on the transaction or value of what's being exchanged, but rather the quality of the the relationship as as such, the the fact that positive interactions are happening and bonds are being developed is more important than the condition of those bonds. And like this study is even hard for me to read and I can tell that the people writing it are also struggling because they're coming from the, the, even though like one of them is Japanese American, but like even the way they write the study, you can tell that they're trying to explain concepts that you can't fucking understand in an individualistic culture. So they describe it as the, the, the value of the relationship, the relationship valuing within collectivism. You can't understand it as simple as simply as, as a feeling affection for a person or feeling or worrying about another person which are almost exchange-based when you think about it, but rather it's about establishing a a sense of oneness, a sense of of oneness that, you know, it's not the individualistic, uh, I just did something nice for you and now you are happy and now I can sense that you are happy and if you're sad, now I am sad because you're sad, it's something different, it's it's a, a holistic oneness which can be hard to get your head around. But the basically what what I'm trying to get around to is all of this within the context of now coronavirus and what our society is facing. And my kind of my thing that I'm wondering about is 
are collectivistic cultures doing better in coronavirus than individualistic ones? Yes, absolutely. That's without fucking question. Because the collectivistic cultures were the ones who mask wearing, social distancing, everything that needed, contact tracing, quarantining, everything that needed to happen happened very rapidly and normally without question in countries in Asia and you just look at their numbers compared to and you just rank it with the, the, the worst country in the world is fucking the United States because of rampant capitalistic individualism. In Ireland, we're doing all right, but we were we were still able to bring a little bit of collectivism into it. It's like the mehel, as I said. When the HSE, which is our National Health Service, announced that they need volu- needed volunteers, like about 100,000 Irish people volunteered this sense of mehel, this sense of we must all get together. So we still have it. But America's fucked. America is is just not... It doesn't even want to address this thing. People are dying. Britain, the same fucking shit. Two hugely individualistic countries and individualistic cultures and colonial cultures. And when you see things like... Mask wearing is the big one. I've got friends who are living in China and living in Japan. And they... People in... In the same way, when I was a kid and I was seeing China and Japan and people wearing face masks and me thinking they're selfish, they're hypochondriacs, my buddies are saying that Chinese people and Japanese people and Korean people, they think that we are mad. They can't understand what the fuck is going on with with people refusing to wear masks. People, I mean, there's so many viral videos every week of, of... People violently refusing the mask as they go into a shop. Individualism is sold to Americans mainly, but it's sold as as freedom. You are free to be you. And people are going into shops and they're saying, can you please wear a mask? And the person is violently screaming, having to be pulled out of the shop because their very identity has been attacked. They're... They believe that their sense of freedom is being attacked and they're calling masks muzzles. Even though the evidence is, is proven, it's like if if everyone wears a mask collectively, all of us together, it's like taking a pill that reduces your chance of coronavirus by 60%. If everyone wears a mask, but everyone has to do it. And people just aren't getting it. It's an attack on their identity. And I myself have had to have numerous arguments with well-meaning people, people who aren't being assholes, well-meaning people who just can't understand the mask concept. When, like, people on Facebook or Twitter who'll say, blind boy, why do you keep talking about these masks? How can a cotton face mask stop me getting coronavirus? And then I have to explain, you have to think about it differently. You're not wearing a mask to stop you getting coronavirus. You have to wear the mask to stop someone else getting it. And then you have to trust that they wear the mask to stop you getting it. And only in this new way of thinking, where it's a cooperational thing, can you actually have an impact here. And it's a tough one for us to get our heads around. It's it's like, if I fall backwards, will you catch me type of thing. 
if if you go to the shop and you don't wear your face mask, then you've negated the efforts of everyone who has. So it has to be you wear a face mask and they wear a face mask and you're both protection, protecting each other, but thinking about yourself doesn't work. But we can't think about this without framing ourselves completely as selfish individuals. We don't know any other way. So finally, two weeks ago, they did a study in the University of Kent, literally looking at collectivism versus individualism and how does it relate to coronavirus and the spread of coronavirus. And the research came straight out and said that people who adopt a collectivistic mindset are more likely to comply with social distancing and hygiene practices to reduce the spread of COVID-19. People who, in their minds, it's, it's, it, you just start, you start saying to yourself, what I started doing early on, because I was reading about, because I had an awareness of collectivism and an awareness of, of individualism, and I have an awareness at all times that I'm from an individualistic culture, so I have to be cautious of, am I being a selfish prick at all times? And I have to try and think collectively where appropriate when I can, as part of my, even that, as part of my, as part of my own mental health regime, taking it back to being a selfish prick. But, like, what I started doing from the start was thinking, you pretend that you have the virus. You have to pretend that you have coronavirus. And now that you pretend you have it, th- then you start thinking about other people. But if you start thinking about, I must not get coronavirus. I can't get sick. I don't want to get infected by all these people. All these people are a, are a threat and they're going to infect me. That's that individualistic, hostile thinking. That's where you get reactionary. But if you think instead, I am sick, even though you have no evidence that you're sick or not, I am sick and my job is to not give the sickness to other people, then it's collectivistic thinking. So the study found straight out people who think in a collectivistic mindset or who adopt one consciously are the ones who will comply with the measures to keep this thing down. But the individualistic mindset, these are the conspiracy theorists. These are people who are conspiracy theorists and who also feel terrified and powerless. The people with individualistic mindsets were unable to view coronavirus as something that might happen from the chaos of existence. These are the people who believe that it was deliberately created in China as a, like Donald Trump, like... There's an individualistic man. Absolute and utter, pure, unbridled American individualism. Grew up with utter fucking privilege. Would view poor people as people who have failed. And Trump, like Trump is punishing China at the moment. Trump is very aggressive to China. I'm saying China like him. He calls it the China virus. This wasn't created by... It, 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 it started in China. It wasn't created by the fucking Chinese. No one of any rigour is saying it was man-made in a fucking lab. Except Trump. And Trump has gone at it from that transactional point of view. Alright, so you made a virus and gave it to us. You just scratched my back. Well, I better scratch yours. And he's unable to think outside of it that it might be from just the chaos of nature. So the... 
Mike Biddlestone, who's a psychologist in, in the University of Kent, who was part of this study, he said for a finish, he said, they have found that collectivistic thinking is most likely to encourage social distancing and compliance around what needs to happen to keep the, to flatten the curve. Individualism is all conspiracy theories and people resisting compliance. He said interventions that focus on collective empowerment and champion a we are in this together mentality will encourage people to comply with guidelines and will, will reduce the spread. Promoting collectivism could also make a positive difference to future public health crises too. As leaders look to improve response strategies, a collectivist mindset might also make people less susceptible to conspiracy theories and misinformation that can negatively affect their behaviour. So there you have it. That's the study. Global warming, climate collapse, biodiversity, these are also all things that are going to require us to collectivistically we're going to have to deal with it in a collective way we're going to have to think deal with it holistically we're going to have to seriously understand that we are not these special individuals but we are all a part of a fucking system and we must behave as a system symbiotically with each other and with nature because this individualistic business of just hoarding and taking and stripping resources for the short term is what will cause our extinction and here's the extreme hot take I've said it before you're entitled to laugh at me not take it seriously but you know what do I see a a future of rampant individualism and I've mentioned you know what rampant individualism colonialism the We've been tricked into worshipping billionaires because we believe that we will one day become them ourselves. Take, take, take. It's going to end with a small amount of billionaires eventually figuring out the technology to leave the earth and colonise Mars and do that shit over there while the majority just burn on earth. I know that sounds extreme. I'm aware of it. That's kind of what they're planning. It might be 300 years in the future, but it's kind of what they're fucking planning. NASA isn't a thing anymore, really. It's it's going over to the hands of private companies and space tourism. and the, Fucking Elon Musk and SpaceX. They want to colonise Mars. They, they want to get humans onto a different planet because the intention is to eat up all the resources here find a new place do the same shit there and just keep hopping and hopping and it's not going to be you and me that gets to go on that spaceship they'll tell us and convince us that we can become the billionaire it's going to be a group of 10,000 people of the ultimate elite assuming something like that ever fucking happens whatever everything else burns and everyone dies because of utter Darwinian individualism And they'll tell themselves that the people who get left back on earth as the waters rise, that these people had the same opportunities as us, equality of opportunity, and I guess they were just lazy. And that's why I'm on my way to Mars with Grimes. Um, Hot take, lads. Roaster. Roaster. Call me a shithead if you like. That's science fiction level hot take. I'm not making a conspiracy theory prediction. I'm just 
I think it's worth it's worth thinking about. It's worth saying out loud at least, you know. Or we all collectively understand ourselves as being part of a system and an ecosystem which includes animals and plants and everything, and we change how we consume. And we change our relationship with each other and we change our relationship with the environment. I think coronavirus is 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 the opportunity for it. There's so many class opportunities that now come with the coronavirus world in terms of working from home, thinking collectively, um, thinking more locally, like the affordability of global travel is without question a driving factor for coronavirus. Like, they mapped it. Look at how quickly it left China and went all over the entire world because of international travel, you know? So that's this week's... I don't know, is it? it? It's not a hot take because I backed the whole thing up with an actual scientific study. So it was more a hunch that I was happy to find a scientific study which addressed this. And then that batshit bit at the end about colonising Mars where we all drown. Which if you want to go fucking... No, we're not going there. We're not going there. Sometimes I wonder about the cyclical nature of time. Ah, no, we're not going there. How do I say this without looking... I just find it fucking strange. I just find it odd. No, I find it interesting. It excites the creative part of my brain. I'm not saying it's true. It excites the creative part of my brain. That flood mythology is such a huge part of world religions. You have it there with fucking Noah and the fucking Ark. One of our origin myths of humanity, which came from the collective unconscious. The collective unconscious of of humankind. And then the fact that, you know, time, what the fuck is time? I had a quantum physicist on talking about it before. You know, time is not linear. That's just how our brains understand it. And our collective unconscious and this flood myth. And maybe the flood myth isn't the past, but it's the future. That's me thinking out loud, lads. Don't be going onto the internet saying, Blind boys after getting into Christ. He's he's found a, a, a quantum interpretation of the Bible and he's telling everybody that Noah's Ark is in the future. Alright, I'm thinking out loud. These are things that I find interesting. I'll talk to you next week. Go fuck yourselves. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.